Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Happy Sunday evening, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah. I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage, and tonight we continue our series on the book of Romans. As always, if you would like to join our conversation or if you need prayer, we have call screeners standing by to take your phone calls at 929-333-3739. I want to give a shout out to Brother Pablo and Brother Carlos, both listeners who visited us this morning in church. It was great to see you both. Okay, Pastor, tonight, let's start our Sunday program a little differently. We came up with a Bible trivia question for our listeners, and I think that it's it was a really a hard good one. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know one. it. I it's did not know hard. the answer. Okay. I confess my ignorance. Okay. All right, so after I ask this question, the first person to call in with the correct answer is going to win a free book. We're giving away a really good one. It's the popular survey of the Old Testament by Norman Geisler. Okay, so before wait, I wait, wait, time out. Yeah. So you're given a free book by just answering a question? Yes. Okay. It's going to be a free book. We'll okay. send it to you. All right. All right. So before I give you guys the question, we're going to ask that you don't use Google. We don't use any other search engine to find out the answer. So you can use your Bible, but don't use online search engines. Okay, ready? The word birthday appears in the Bible just three times. And when it's used, it refers to one man's birthday in the Old Testament and one man's birthday in the New Testament. So here's the two-part question. Part one, what two men celebrate their birthdays in the Bible? And then part two, what very specific thing do both men do on their birthdays? So who are the two men and what do both men do on their birthdays? And we need both parts of the answers to win the book. If you know the answer, or even if you just have a guess, call us right now at 929 333 Three seven three nine. Let me give you that number one more time. Nine two nine three 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 seven three nine. And Pastor, speaking of birthdays, we're celebrating a birthday tonight here in the radio station. We are. We have a great friend and brother in Christ. Been in our church many years. Brother Leon is your first appearance on the Heritage of Faith Conversation program, and it's your birthday. So happy birthday, Brother Leon. Uh, thank you, Pastor, and thanks for all the listening all day. We really thank God for really working in my life and seeing me to testing and time of these, I really rejoice in getting to another era of my life. I thank God for just the way he has designed this moment for me. Thank you. Yeah, and may, and may the Lord bring you comfort as well, Leon, because though you celebrate your birthday today, I know there was a, a death in your family yesterday, so we do express our sympathies, our prayers and condolences to you and your family in your loss. Thanks again. It's a bittersweet, but again, God is get a glory out of this. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Leon, I remember on the streets of Brooklyn one time, somebody said to me, we go back. And when I think about you, you and your dear wife, Lintia, good evening, Lintia. How are you tonight? Good evening, Pastor. Very well, thank you. I think I think we can say we go back, don't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the way back to, premar- to premarital counseling. 
And how many years now have you been married together? 23. Whoa. <laughs> Coming up in 23, actually, in July uh, the 29th, we make 23. Hopefully, God would get us there. Thank you. A- amen. Yeah, amen. And amen. you have beautiful, four amazing children. And the youngest is here tonight. Uh, JJ's not here, right? Just AZ? No, that's... Just just your daughter, our youngest daughter. So we're so happy to have you with us. You're great servants of the Lord. We look forward to having our conversation tonight. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2 this evening as we talk about the judgment of the religious man and how God judges five different ways, dear friends, in this passage of Scripture. And we're going to walk through it tonight as we continue our study in the book of Romans of God's judgment of the religious man. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. So we're going to read this passage of Scripture this evening, and I'll begin us off, actually, in verse 1 of Romans chapter 2, God's Word. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up thyself unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that walketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respecter a person with God. For as many hath have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many has have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. For none the heritage of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, and meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast in God. Okay, so dear friends, tonight we're going to talk about, quite. this is a serious, solemn subject. Mm. This is the judgment of God. And that passage even says, as it concludes, that God will even judge the secrets of men according to the gospel. Are you ready for that day, dear friend? Mm. If not, and we can pray with you that you will prepare your heart 
Clint, and, and ask God for forgiveness of sins, you give us a call right now at 929-333-3739 as we pray tonight. Now, Lord, please work and teach us of your judgment of us, Lord, those of us who say, yes, we have a faith, we do have a way that we believe is right to come to you. That is religion, Lord, and you will judge the religious man, according to this passage, even all of the secrets of our heart. None of us will escape this perfect, truthful, impartial judgment, Lord. So help us to be prepared for that day. And we thank you that you are good and you're a stronghold in the day of trouble. Now, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me just set the background a little bit of this passage and and an overview of the book of Romans. The book of Romans, of course, is a book about the gospel of God and how we are righteous through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, as far as the overall uh, book of Romans, here's the five words as I outline the book of Romans. Sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. So right now, we're kind of right in the middle of this first point, the first S of these fives, sin. Mm. And in chapters 1 through 3, Paul is expounding, and he's going to conclude the section right by saying, all have sinned. Mm. But he walks through the all. And J.B. Phillips, who alliterates everything, he's okay. got an unbeatable alliteration uh-huh. on this. So I, I've taken it from him, <laughs> uh-huh. but it's really good. So I give him full credit. He talks about how Paul expounds on the sin of the heathen man and then the sin of the hypocritical religious man. That's where we are tonight. Mm. And then he details the sin of the Hebrew and then the sin of all humanity. So those are the H's of sin, the heathen, the hypocrite, the Hebrew and all humanity. And so here is the sin of the religious man. Now, some say that Paul only deals with the Jewish man. In verses 1 through 16, but my understanding is that Paul deals in general terms with the self-righteous religious man and then specifically speaks to the Jewish man in verse 17. And a reason for saying that he deals not just with the Jewish person in this passage that we're looking at tonight is because twice he mentions Jew and the Gentile, to the Jew first and to the Gentile in verse 9 and 10. And then he also talks about when the Gentiles, which don't have a law, do by nature the things contained in the law. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about religious men who may not have a, a, even a verse of, from the Bible, right. but yet they have a conscience, mm-hmm. and they will be judged according to their conscience. Mm-hmm. So the sin of the religious man will be brought under judgment by God. Yep. That's what this passage is about. So let's let's look at it. And as we think of religious people... And, may, and maybe even people who are not Christian, sometimes they're very righteous. Yeah. Or they mm-hmm. could do good things. Yeah. The, all men are not the worst of, of, that they could be. Not all men are, are murderers, right. you know. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a murderer to be a sinner. And sometimes, I would say this, that unsaved people put Christians to shame mm. by their integrity, their discipline, their hard work. What do you, what do you say to that, Micah? You know, in my neighborhood in Long Island City, it's known for its Bengali population. You know, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people from Bangladesh who live within about a four-block radius, mm. uh, Bengali restaurants, markets, and a mosque. And most of them are religious Muslims. And it's interesting because the Muslim holiday of Ramadan actually started this past Wednesday. 
And for the first time since I've lived there for, I don't know, 12, 13 years, there's a big light-up sign saying Ramadan Mubarak, mm. which means Blessed Ramadan. And it's hung above the main avenue just a block away from my apartment, almost like, you know, a Christmas light when they hang them above the streets. And for those Muslims who observe the holiday, they fast from sunup to sundown. They eat a big meal in the evening and socialize afterward. And there are times during the holiday when I'll walk past the mosque and I'll see a couple hundred men on the streets kneeling down while the call to prayer is blaring from the speaker. So most of these people, they're very devout. Yeah. generally, you know, nice, and of course they're mor- morally conservative, you know, but they're not Christians. Right, and that's something, and have you ever seen Christian men pray like that on the street? No. With that kind of shame, without, you know, no shame no at shame. all? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no, so that does kind of put us to shame, and sometimes unbelievers behave more nicely than believers in certain ways, and and for others, this makes Christianity, like, unbelievable. Mm. Like, why don't, why don't you Christians sometimes act nicer, yeah. you know, than even unsaved religious type of people. But you know what, Mike, as you were so eloquently sharing about your own community, mm-hmm. what the thought that came to me was that these Muslim people mm-hmm. are not going to be judged by Allah because Allah is not a God. No. They're going to be judged by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Think of that. Mm-hmm. And so, dear Muslim friend, I know that that may have hit you if you're listening and you're Muslim, but that's the truth. You will not be judged by Allah because he is no God. You will be judged by the one true and living God, the triune God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God. And we ask you to come to him and be right in his sight. Okay, so Lentia, what would you say to that about nice religious people? So so we're not saying that, that all men are worthless and, and good for nothing, like we'll say in the yeah. Caribbean pastor. I mean, we're not saying that <laughs> they're all murderers either. No. I mean, sometimes unsafe people can display really nice qualities. That's right. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 talks about all have sinned. I have a family member that falls right into that category. I mean, I, I often remind her of God's goodness and encourage her to make Jesus Lord of her life. Mm. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, Brother Leon? Yes, I, I could really tell you this is a great question, but I have a gentleman who I know. His name is Mr. D. Mr. D is really a good works person, but he's not saved. Mm. He's very compassionate. Mm-hmm. He's patient. He's kind. He almost have all the fruits of the Spirit. Mm. He'd open the door. He smiles. He would carry a bag inside. He does almost everything what a Christian would do. Mm. But he's not saved. He's lost. Mm. Yeah. And this is my cry here that I have to return to him because this actually resonates to me too be more vigilant in seeing people come to Christ because this is a perfect example of how much we could see people and not recognize that they need the Savior Mm. because they all fall shot as I did at one time. Yeah, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So Micah, it looks like we had, we we have a answer to your (laughs) trivia question. We do. I saw a couple calls come in before, but we do have somebody who's now willing to take a guess, and it's an old friend of ours, Dow Buford. You're live with us on the air. Dow, do you have an answer for our trivia question, brother? Yes, I do, uh, brother Michael. Um, (laughs) Brother uh, Dow, how you doing? All right. Uh, Okay, Pastor. Yeah. Uh, The answer to the question is Sparrow in the Old Testament and Harrod in the New Testament, and they were both uh, celebrating a feast. For their birthday. Yeah. And what, what did they do on their feast? So what did they both do? Oh, what did they both do? Yeah. What did Herod do to of John? 
<laughs> oh, he cut off his head. And what did Pharaoh do to the... And, and, oh, butler. yeah, and with the, but, uh, the, the butler, uh, the baker. The, the baker. The baker. Yeah, yeah, what did yeah. Pharaoh do to the baker? Yeah, they, they, both, they both lost their heads. Okay, oh. you got it right. <laughs> Brother Dow, that was awesome, because you know what? In the studio, we asked the question before the radio program started, and no one person had the answer. Two people put their heads together and came up with it. So you win the award tonight. We're going to get your address later. Good job on the trivia question, Dow. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Brother Micah. Thank you. Good job. And, and Dow, let's never celebrate our birthday that way, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good evening. God bless you, brother. You too. God and, bless you guys. Yeah. And Micah, you know, Resurrection Day is coming up in just two weeks. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We're going to have a wonderful Palm Sunday service and message yeah. about Jesus Christ coming triumphantly into Jerusalem. And then Resurrection Day, we're going to have our Crucifixion Day Friday service on April 7th in our church office. And then Sunday, we're going to have some really great special music mm. as well. You're going to do some special music on Resurrection Day. If we can pull it together, yeah. yeah. We're, going, we're going to do that. I, I mean, that is worth all of the listeners yeah. flocking to Heritage Baptist Church to worship the risen Savior. We hope that you may join us on Sunday, really, in all seriousness, April 9th at 11 a.m. for our morning worship service. We would be so honored to have you come and visit with us at Heritage Baptist Church on Resurrection Day. And Pastor, you know what? Uh, so one of our visitors this morning who listens to us on the radio, you know what he said to me? He said, oh, I thought you were just a little guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not. I'm six foot two. So come we're, on out and meet us. We're person. both the same size. They might not know who, who is <laughs> who. who. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to look tonight how God is the judgment of even the religious person, the religious Hindu, the religious Muslim, the atheist person who is has a religion of atheism, which is a, really a, a man is a, a worshiper. Man yeah. is a religious being, mm -hmm. and he's going to make a God of something. And God will judge every one of us, and he's going to do it in one of five ways. He's going to do it in truth. His judgment is going to be inescapable, it's going to be righteous, it will be impartial, and it will be with thorough knowledge. So, Leon, first of all, we see God's judgment is in truth. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, how do we see God's judgment in truth come upon the hypocrite in, this, in these verses? Great question, Pastor. My understanding here is God speaks to the person who can see the beam in their eyes and don't see in others eyes sorry and mm -hmm. don't see it in themselves yeah yeah but this is a form of being hypocrite because you know we don't see what is happening to us but we see our neighbor or someone else has uh, the same fallen condition as we do mm -hmm. so Paul neither Paul nor Jesus they're not they're teaching uh, the, that we, we we can be judged for what we did or doing but they're not teaching uh, in a hypocrite way, as I mentioned prior. Mm -hmm. They're basically outlining that we have to take the speck out of our eyes. Yes, amen. We, and before we, we do that, we must know that we were without excuses. Yeah. So my whole understanding here is that we have the same falling conditions, so we have to obey what God and Paul is talking about yeah. by looking onto the Word of God and applying it to our daily lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this, these verses, really, in Romans chapter 2, 
verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. That really does remind us of Jesus' teaching mm-hmm. on judgment, doesn't it? In Matthew chapter 7, mm-hmm. on this, in his Sermon on the Mount, and where he says, as you mentioned, Brother Leon, that we so easily see the little peas in other people's eyes, but we miss the beams in our own eye. And it's as if we are a perfect stranger to our own character. And perhaps one of the great examples of this is King David, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when the prophet Nathan came to David and Nathan told David about this rich man who took a poor man's lamb, which had become like a family pet. David had no clue and was completely unaware Mm -hmm. that Nathan was talking really about who? Him. About David. But David, he was a total stranger to his own character. And that's really amazing because David was a murderer and an adulterer, Mm -hmm. and yet he was completely unaware. And then he judged that rich man who took the poor man's lamb. He says, you know... He He should be killed. Yeah, he he should be killed. Mm. And so most of us, and this is what this is saying really, is that we are so prone to judge others for the very things we do. And and here's one last point, Mike, and then I know you want to say something. But most of us are harder on others than we are on ourselves. That's human nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think that, as you mentioned, David, you know, the warning against judging others hypocritically, it's seen throughout the Bible. You know, I was just studying a passage in James chapter 4 on the same topic, but the biblical example which really brings this warning to life for me is found in John 8 when the scribes and the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. You know, as usual, they're trying to trap Jesus, putting him in the position where Jesus would either declare judgment on the woman, having her stoned, (laughs) which would have been totally out of character for Jesus, or where Jesus would dismiss the law of Moses and then they could accuse him of being a false teacher. But once again, Jesus does something completely unexpected. And instead of declaring judgment on the woman, he essentially declares judgment on those that brought her to him because of their hypocrisy. So I'll just read a couple of verses, John 8, 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then verse 9 continues, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone in the woman standing in the midst. So essentially, Paul is reiterating this warning, which Jesus had given through his words and actions during his ministry, and it's meant to convict us. Yes. So, dear friends, here's the solemn point, is that the judgment of God is according to truth. And you and I could sit in judgment of others all day long Mm -hmm. and pretend that we're so righteous in ourselves, and yet we could perhaps be doing the same thing. Guess what? God knows that. God knows the truth, dear friend. Mm -hmm. And are you prepared to stand before the eternal, infinite, awesome God of truth? And that's why we're here tonight, to encourage you to get ready to meet God, because you and I will give an account of our lives to God. Give us a call if we can encourage you and pray for you at 929-333-3739. 
So not only is God's judgment according to truth, but Lentia, God's judgment is inescapable. So we see in verses 3 and 4 the religious hypocrite. And so the question here I have, Lentia, is why does Paul tell the religious hypocrite that God's judgment is inescapable? Why does he tell him that? Pastor, we serve an awesome God who loves us unconditionally. Hmm. In our culture, the terms spiritual and religious are synonymous. If all seems well with an individual, he can be easily deceived into thinking that he has all his ducks in a row and that he will escape God's judgment. Mm -hmm. But Paul Mm. warns these self-righteous moralists that just because they experience God's goodness doesn't mean they will not be judged for their unwise decisions and sinful practices. I mean, if anything, God's goodness should propel one to to repent and, and worship. That's exactly right, sister. This passage does say that that the riches of his goodness, that God is rich in goodness, in forbearance, and long-suffering, and that this goodness should lead us to repentance. But many people, I I really believe this, Micah, they misinterpret God's goodness, Mm -hmm. and they misinterpret it like as Lentia was saying, and I'll just drive down deeper on it. They think to themselves, things are so good for me, I must be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I must be good. Mm-hmm. But if things are good for you, that means that God has been good to you. Mm-hmm. And that goodness ought to lead you to repentance. Don't let God's goodness deceive you into thinking that you won't be judged. And here's the great news. God is good. And his goodness is so great. He's provided a way for, be to, for us to be forgiven so that when we stand before him in judgment, we won't be condemned to hell. Mm. God in his goodness has provided his son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sin, was buried and rose again. Mm. Go for so it. good. Uh, you know, I heard a quote recently, and it stuck with me. It's from an author named John Barth, and he says, Everyone is necessarily the hero of his own life. Let me repeat yeah. that. Everyone yeah. is necessarily the hero of his own life story. So I found a lot of truth in that because we're all looking at our life from our own perspective. We all have an ego. And one result of that is that we easily justify our own sins and shortcomings while harshly judging others. So we believe that as the hero of the story, we may have minor flaws, <laughs> but we're ultimately good. But Paul says no. We must put ourselves on the same level as every other sinner. We must be thankful for the goodness of God, as you said, Pastor, mm. letting his patience lead us to repentance, just like Lentia was saying. And verse 4 says that the religious man, the hero, despises and rejects the riches of God's goodness and long-suffering because he doesn't recognize that he is just as bad as the sinners. And this also reminds me of the prophet Jonah, who actually admitted that he was mad at God because of God's patience and forgiveness. In Jonah, at the end of the book, Jonah 4, 2, it says, For I knew that thou art a gracious God, Mm. and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. And it's just so interesting. I remember really looking at that verse for the first time, being like, "Am I? what am I not seeing here? But Jonah was actually mad at God because of God's patience and goodness. And, and, you know, it's, it's a different situation here, but Paul is basically saying that, you know, the religious man is rejecting God's goodness and patience in a similar way. Yeah. Yes, Brother Leon? Yeah, Hebrew 9.27 does give us that uh, pointer that it was appointed unto man who wants to die after death, the judgment. Mm-hmm. So we, we're not excused. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, dear friend, do not let God's goodness lead you to conclude that you're an exception to the rule and that you'll escape God's judgment. None of us will. God's judgment is inescapable. And the great news, the good news of the gospel is that you you can have a righteous standing before God through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could be declared righteous, justified in his sight when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the one who died for you and rose again. We're going to go to a song now at this time. And, at, and if the Lord is touching your heart, convicting you, perhaps of being a hypocrite in your life, judging others but not yourself, being harder on others and easy on yourself, or maybe God has been good to you but you have, you have m- misinterpreted the goodness of God and, and you have been deceived into thinking that you'll escape the judgment of God. Give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. We have some great call screeners here tonight who will pray with you. Raul and Wanda are here tonight on the other side of the glass. Raul is often with us in the studio, but he's here with his dear wife. You call us now. Forgiveness with you, God. Have mercy. 
this love was demonstrated to us in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking tonight in Romans chapter 2 on the judgment of God, and we're seeing that God's judgment is in truth, it's inescapable, and now we're going to look how his judgment is righteous. You know, Mike, as I, when I read the scripture, I always try to look for those repeating words and phrases, mm-hmm. and we see this phrase repeated in this section of Romans 2, the judgment of God. We see it in verse 2. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. And then verse 3, who shall escape the judgment of God? And then verse 5 says, the righteous judgment of God. Mm. So we're getting our point straight from the the passage and Mm -hmm. straight from the text. So how does Paul describe the hearts of these outwardly religious people who may have looked good on the outside, but what will happen to them on the day of the righteous judgment of God? Mm-hmm. Well, as as you just mentioned in verse 3, Paul, he's almost rhetorically asking the religious man if he thinks he's going to escape the judgment of God. And here Paul answers saying, Thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. So in other words, no, you won't escape the wrath of God on judgment day. And in fact, your hard heart is storing up more and more wrath mm. as you go. So this description of the hard heart, it's evocative because God often uses the heart to describe the condition of the people. So there's a heart of stone in the Bible or a hard heart. It talks about describing a stubborn, idolatrous, and disobedient people. Whereas there's a pure heart, a clean heart, a heart of flesh, which describes a people who are humble and obedient to God. So again, while the religious man thinks that he's living a life that is pleasing to God, he neglects to see that his own sin and pride are going to lead him to that judgment that Paul keeps talking about throughout this passage. Yes, Lentia, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I'm thinking about um, this verse, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, which talks about the heart of man that is desperately wicked, who can know it. And without repentance, Pastor, the the sinner will be judged. That's right. And I have that verse written down right here also, Lentia, mm. and even verse 10 to continue where he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As this passage even says that God will render to every man according to his deeds. And, you know, and it's really a scary thought when you think about this, when rather than repent of sin, Mm -hmm. they harden their heart and then continue in that sin, even if it's a sin of some kind of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is a very grievous sin Mm -hmm. where we think we're righteous in ourselves and don't need the righteousness of Christ. Mm -hmm. He says they treasure up they are just they are just piling up sin and they're going to stand before god with that pile of sin Mm -hmm. without any cleansing blood to have taken it away Mm. that's a really frightening thought yeah i mean because i know that i sin Mm -hmm. every day we we say things or we do things but thank god we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous we could go to the lord and ask for forgiveness and clear the slate mm-hmm. we can clear the slate on mm-hmm. a daily basis but people who aren't they're just their sins are just piling up before god leon you're absolutely correct pastor i i i can definitely tell you in john 1:9 he said that if we confess our sins he's faithful and just 
to cleanse us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, mm-hmm. amen. So, so I've walked the path we have seen, even your thoughts that you go day by day with can lead to terrible sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just going to uh, also mention that, you know, this, this phrase in verse 5, it's really interesting to me because it says, the heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath. And it's the exact opposite of Jesus' words about his faithful in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six twenty through 21. And this is familiar verses to us, but I'll just read. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth mm-hmm. corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So according to these two passages, no matter who we are, we're storing up something to be judged on Judgment Day. And our hearts will either treasure up the good things of God or they're going to treasure up wrath. That is awesome. That is an awesome and very picture. I I, I see the picture of either storing up up sin here on earth that Mm -hmm. we're going to have to answer to a righteous God for or store up treasure in heaven that we can get reward for on the day of judgment. Mm. And the righteous God will judge those faithfully, either the one who is saved, treasuring up mm-hmm. his, his works in heaven for the glory of God, or storing up treasuring their sins here on earth. Wow. Dear friend, make sure you know Jesus and you're putting your treasure in heaven. So let's continue on now to verses 7 through 11. And these verses, probably in this passage of Scripture, are the most difficult and the most misunderstood. Because it sounds almost from these verses as if Paul is saying that if a person does good, they'll receive eternal life. And if they do evil, they'll receive judgment. So it sounds on the surface as if Paul is teaching salvation by good works. Mm. But of course we know that's not what Scripture teaches. But if not now, what do these verses mean? So Leon, would you like to give us a little breakdown of this? Yes, Pastor. Paul is not teaching salvation is by good works. Mm-hmm. Amen. Because in the book of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you see, for by grace are we saved through faith. You see, it's a gift of God, not any man should boast. And Titus 3, 5 just sum it up in great um, understanding. He said, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us by the washing and renewing and regeneration of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to overlook this two scripture and read everything into what Paul is saying without understanding. Mm-hmm. But we're not justified by good works. We save unto good works. Mm-hmm. So which right. means that God gave us the mandate to accept him and we expect us to follow him. So this is where we are. We are at a point where we have a commander-in-chief. Whatever he tells us to do, we got to do it, and we got to follow everything, uh, you know, exactly as it's written. And that's my understanding here. We are saved because God came and He died in our place, and He saw that we fall short, so He had to put us up to a direction where we should be. And eternal life is a free gift. We just have to Amen. walk the pathway of it. That's right. God. Eternal life is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when Paul says in verse seven to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality so they get eternal life. Mm -hmm. Paul is not saying that if you 
do those good things and work good, that you're going to work your way to heaven, as Brother Leon just clearly said. But Paul is saying that if you are saved, that these are the evidences of your salvation. And that's the key word. These are the evidences of salvation in verse 7, that you will have a patient continuance if you're saved. You will seek for glory and honor and immortality. And yes, you will receive eternal life if you are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But it is not by works of righteousness, as Leon quoted from Titus 3, 5, which we have done. But if we are saved, we will evidence salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as Leon said, it's important to remember the rest of the Bible. But I would just say that we can't even separate individual passages in the book from Romans as a whole. You know, Romans is known for its clear presentation of salvation. So when we come to sections like this or verses like this, we view, we have to view them through the lens of the whole book. So for instance, you just gave uh, verse 7, Pastor, but when I read verses 8 and 9, it says that one who does not obey the truth will bring tribulation and anguish upon himself. I remember that the most important truth is the gospel of Jesus. So if one isn't obeying the truth, they're not submitting to the Lord and they're not meeting the bare minimum requirements for salvation. And again, this applies to everyone. When Paul mentions the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew and the Gentile, he says it twice. That's shorthand for all people. So verse 11 then goes on to reiterate that when it says, for there is no respect of persons with God, it's saying that God puts everybody, everybody, me, you, everybody on the same playing field. Yeah, and and we can't even separate it from what he just said in the previous chapter, Mm. that it's the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation yeah and there is no way we save ourselves Mm -hmm. god saves us by his grace brother leon yeah first john 5 13 said that we have to understand what god is what paul is is really stating here in first john that if we confess uh first john 5 13 uh, These things have written, written unto you that yeah. believe on the, on the name, name of the Son of God, that, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of Amen. the Son of God. That's right. So this is clear cut that we all we have to do is not read through the Scripture, but understand it enough that we can accept the fact that there's no other condition except we just have to ask God to get us to that point of mm-hmm. um, repentance. As mm-hmm. well. Right, right, and that God's judgment is impartial dear friend he will judge jew and gentile there's no respect of person with god and he will judge us all based on what we have done with his son Mm -hmm. what is our relationship to god the father god the son god the holy spirit through christ's work in the gospel for it is the power of god the gospel is the way through which we are declared righteous by God when we believe that Christ is the one who died for us, buried, and rose again. So, Lentia, let's move now to some very interesting verses, 12 through 16. And again, we talked as we began the program about how unbelievers often have a strong moral ethic, and that's true. Many unbelievers are honest in business, show kindness to those in need. Do you have an example of of somebody like that in in your life? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm thinking of a friend of mine, right? Um, Strong moral, ethical standards, truthful, honest, 
but does not know the Lord. Yeah. There's a, a, a particular organization, non-Christian organization, that steps in when there's a, say, a natural disaster or homelessness mm-hmm. or domestic violence, just anything like that. But that one organization has nothing to do with Christianity, but they're helpful. They they provide mm-hmm. whatever is needed. And I'm also thinking of um, the attribute of God, the one that he is he's all-knowing. Um, he knows our intentions. He knows our motives. He knows our thoughts. And Matthew 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 30, talks about um, he knows the number of hairs on our head, Pastor. Nothing surprises God. Yes. He's aware of everything. Yeah, that's right. And these verses do show us that even people who do, do good things will have their secrets judged in thorough, with a thorough knowledge and absolute fairness by God, don't they? And, and that even people who have no law, where it says not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law, they shall be justified. And then he goes down and he talks about how we all have the work of of the law written in our hearts, mm-hmm. their conscience bearing witness. We have a conscience. So does anybody want to comment about that as well, uh, Micah? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, Paul's point to the religious man is that even people who think they're moral are still sinners. You know, we've been yeah. talking about throughout the program, and the Bible shows this clearly throughout all of its pages. And on the flip side, it's like even the most righteous of men, you know, they still repented to God for their sins because, you know, as you mentioned, Pastor, just now, it says, um, God's going to judge even the secrets of men. So men like Daniel who said, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. You know, men like Isaiah who said, I am a man of unclean lips. You know, and Isaiah, he even went further to point out that even the deeds that we think are righteous are worthless and dirty. So Isaiah 46, 6, he said, but we are all as unclean things and all our unrighteousness are as filthy rags and we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So think about that. These righteous men that we look up to in the Bible, when they looked at themselves, they knew that God was going to judge those secrets inside of them, meaning they all knew that they were imperfect. They all knew that they were sinners. And so who are we you know, when Isaiah is saying, I'm a sinner, who are we to think that we're not? Yeah, and our conscience, and I love that word conscience. Mm-hmm. It literally means that we know ourselves with. Mm. And then it's a blank. It's like, so a conscience is who you know yourself to be with. With who? With God. Uh-huh. Okay. So our conscience is that internal moral compass mm-hmm. guide some have called it an inner judge others have said it's god's spy in our heart it's the light of god if you will in the sense that gives man a knowledge of some knowledge of right and wrong now mm-hmm. different pe- everyone has a different sense of right and wrong but still i think all of us can agree that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and that's because we have a conscience. Mm-hmm. God gave us that conscience, and I think it was C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity when I read that, he made the point that there's no law 
without a lawgiver. Mm-hmm. Without a lawgiver, there is no law. Mm-hmm. So if there's a law in my heart that it's wrong for me to sit here while you're absolutely doing nothing to hurt me or harm me or threaten me, for me to just reach over and punch you in the nose, you know. That would be wrong, Mike. You would not deserve that. Wait until the program's <laughs> over. <Okay. Pastor. laughs> See, but So that, that law is written in our heart. Yeah. And, and if I did that, what it says here is my conscience would accuse me mm-hmm. as I, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we all have a conscience and we've all broken the law of our conscience. Mm-hmm. And who wrote that law? God mm-hmm. wrote that law. Mm-hmm. And and so our conscience either accuses us if we do something wrong mm-hmm. or it excuses us. Like if I, on the other hand, let's say I say, oh, you drank your coffee. Would you, I'll, I'll get you another cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And I just decide I'm going to get you another cup of coffee because it's free for me. It's free here, so mm-hmm. I don't have to mm-hmm. buy it. You know, mm-hmm. but anyways, but that would be a, so I did something nice for you. Mm-hmm. So my conscience would excuse me. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I did something good. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean just because I do something good that I go to heaven on that goodness. No. And if I do something wrong, it doesn't mean that I can't be forgiven either way. Our, we, nobody lives up to the law of his own conscience. Mm-hmm. We all need forgiveness. We all need Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We need the gospel. Mm-hmm. Brother Leon? Yeah, that's a good uh, way of explaining, Pastor. You really make my heart tremble here because I'm mm-hmm. thinking about myself, wow. Really, I was at that stage in my life when I realized even you still have challenges that you face in this life and your conscience does prick you and say, this is the time. I think about a fish. As it being harpooned and that uh, condition where mm. he suffocate, yeah. and then he doesn't know he get caught. Mm-hmm. But God yeah. knows; He knows what we do, and each time we do it, and in our own conscience, we know that we gotta come back to God. We gotta see God the way He would see us. But the only how we could do that is only if we repent and also accept Him and just understand that God in control. We not. Mm-hmm. That's why we go to God. God is our the high priest, he's the person who sits there and really examine and see what we do to direct us to the right way and the right tasks we, we mm-hmm. carry. So this is really helpful for me tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Leon. Thank you for sharing that. So, dear friend, as we're getting to the close of the program, we want to remind you that God is a faithful judge. He will judge us all in truth. His judgment is inescapable. It's righteous. It is totally impartial. And it's with a thorough knowledge of what we truly are on the inner man. He knows our conscience, our thoughts. And so, Mike, as we conclude tonight, putting Romans 1 and Romans 2 together really give us powerful reasons that even people with no knowledge of the name of Jesus Christ or without even a verse in the Bible are without excuse. Mm -hmm. So can you summarize this this, uh, this for us, because yeah. this is very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well, Romans 1, which we talked about the last few weeks, it lays out how even the man who knows nothing about Jesus Christ has already denied God because he has rejected the general revelation of creation. He looks around at the universe, which is so clearly designed, and yet out of pride says, there is no designer. So Romans one twenty, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. And then verse 19, even before that, says God showed himself to them. Now we get to Romans 2, and Paul makes the case that even the moral man or the religious man 
has rejected God by denying the moral compass called the conscience, which God has placed inside every human being. So long before the decision of accepting or rejecting faith in Jesus Christ comes, man has already, they're already without excuse because he has rejected the creator. So Paul later specifies that Jesus Christ is the creator. They're one and the same. You know, and even if per, a person, like, and we've been talking about morally good people, mm-hmm. people who are unsaved have integrity, who gave them that sense of morality? Who mm. gave them that sense that it's right to have integrity? Yeah. It's right to be diligent. It's right to work hard. Mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. As, as it says here, that God himself has written that law in our heart. And so man, even the righteous man, even the good man, has absolutely nothing to boast in. Because mm-hmm. if he's good, he's only good because God is good. Yeah. <laughs> and God has made him with a desire that, you know what, it's right to be good. Yeah. And we learned that actually from the theology of Pinocchio because he said, let your conscience be your guide. And, the, you know, it was Jiminy Cricket, which, you know, always reminds me of J.C., Jesus Christ. You know, it's not biblical. It's not Christian. But even in Jiminy, you know, in Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket says, let the conscience be your guide. But Pinocchio sins. He goes off and does right. terrible things. And, and our conscience isn't a perfect judge either. It's right. not a perfect law because we can defile our conscience and our conscience become, can become seared with a hot iron. Mm. And, and, and the Bible does speak about a good conscience, but the Bible also speaks about an evil conscience. Mm. And, and people, we can sin so much against our conscience that, that evil becomes good and good becomes evil, mm-hmm. as really in our own society. Mm-hmm. Justice is turned upside down. Mm. So, dear friends, this is why we need God. This is why we need His Word. This is why we need Jesus Christ. And we hope that you will know Jesus as your personal Savior. Lintia, thank you for being with us tonight and sharing. Leon, May God bless you, Brother Leon, and continue to give you all strength and grace. Micah, thank you for sharing tonight. Last word? Want to say anything? Uh, Happy birthday to Leon. We're so glad that you decided to join us on the radio on your birthday. I mean, that is God speaking through you. We thank you for joining us on the radio. Thank you again. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, and dear friends, put in your calendar, come to Heritage Baptist Church on Crucifixion Friday. That's April 7th. We have service at either 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. at our church office, Sunday, April 9th, Resurrection Day. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m.